Well, what you saw in that last drama is that when you marry someone, you also marry their family. And we're going to be looking at that in our series, The Really Wed Game, when the honeymoon is over, when the honeymoon is over and the in-laws are too. How do we set appropriate boundaries? How do we navigate the challenges of family, especially extended family? And to do that, I want to tell you a story about a, a young shepherd boy by the name of David. David kills a giant, marries a princess, and the giant was the least of his problems. He marries into a family of incredible dysfunction, jealousy, anger, hatred, depression, manipulation, triangulation. It is incredibly difficult at all levels because not only is his father-in-law got all those characteristics, he's also his boss and the king of the nation. And the Bible tells in the middle of all of that, David acted wisely toward Saul. In the midst of all that family challenge, David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. That God is with us when we are wise, especially in unthinkably difficult, there's no clear right or wrong answer here, it's complicated. And his father-in-law, crazy father-in-law Saul, the king, even noticed He saw that he was behaving wisely. And we're going to wrestle for several weeks together what it looks like to act wisely in your marriage. Act wisely with your in-laws. Act wisely in your behavior. And to catch yourself being unwise. Realize the unwise behaviors you can't control that are around you. Because if, if you and I don't know the rules, we're going to end up playing other people's games. And sometimes in family, there's so much dysfunction, if you don't set the rules, you're going to end up being pulled into other people's games. And often you don't realize, like we saw in the drama, you don't realize some of the rules of the games of your family, that there's triangulation in place, that a person may be acting one way to you, but not necessarily the same way to your spouse. You might be pulled into a family where triangulation is how they always talk. No one talks directly to each other. You tell someone who tells someone. People who bait each other, push each other's buttons. Maybe come into a family that no one's ever called one family member to account and they think they can say whatever they want, control whatever they want, yell at whoever they want, and it's always your fault. They can't own their stuff. How do we behave wisely in the midst of incredibly difficult situations? There's not going to be a silver bullet in this series, but I'm hoping to give you a lens a lens by which you can begin to look through impossible family situations and at least apply some wisdom to how you might navigate those challenges. And to do that, we're going to look at David and how he does it through an incredibly complex relationship with his father-in-law, brother-in-law, wife, and family. We'll look at some unwise aspects and then some wise aspects because the bottom line is that unwise behaviors, and we all have them, by the way, create games, unhealthy games. And it's easy to see unwise behavior sometimes in other people, your spouse, your kids. It's very hard to see those unwise games in yourself. And it's very hard to see them from your family of origin because that was just normal for you. You don't see them as unwise. You you don't even see them as unhealthy. You just see them as how marriage works. So we're going to really have to do some work 
to begin to examine what is an unwise behavior I'm bringing to the table, what's an unwise behavior that's all around me, and what are some of the unhealthy games that's created, and, and how do we set rules to keep ourselves from being pulled into other people's games. One of the first unhealthy behaviors you see in King Saul is he is incredibly controlling. He wasn't courageous enough to fight Goliath himself, so in order to get somebody to have enough courage, he actually had to sort of bribe them. Anyone who takes on the giant, you can, one, uh, marry my daughter, and a few other things. So David ends up marrying into the royal family because he defeated a giant. And look at the first thing he discovers with his new father-in-law, the king. He is a controller. The soul of Jonathan, that's his brother-in-law, was knit to the soul of David. He suddenly has a great relationship with his new brother-in-law. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul, however, his father-in-law, took him that day, David the shepherd boy, away from his family and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. You're never going to see your mom and dad anymore. You're never going to go home anymore. No visits. I'm in charge. I'm your source. Total controlling from the very beginning. And he's not just a father-in-law. He's your boss because David's now in the army. He's also the king of the military. In her book, Toxic In-Laws, the author tells a story of Anne. She's 31. She's a graphic designer. She's built a very, very successful business with her name as the, as the company. When she went to uh, get married, she talked over with her husband, and she decided not to take his name, mostly because all of her brochures, all of her websites were branded to her, um, her company and her name brand. And immediately, her new mother-in-law began to talk about how, how inappropriate that was, how there was no, never, could never possibly be a good reason not to take the family name. She then constantly in front of her and around her while they were dating would say, you know, this, this woman, Anne, she's just far too ambitious. You're going to play second fiddle to her all of your life. And Anne hoped that maybe that was just in the dating years, that maybe once they got married, that behavior would change. <laughs> Two grandchildren later, and she said, there is no changes. And there are certain people that you can hope they'll grow out of it, they're not going to grow out of it. You're going to have to set some boundaries. I remember we had a, an in-law situation in our family where there was just constant critique going back and forth in uh, the marriage of one of our in-laws. And we had to sit down with them when we were early married and say, listen, we care about you both. We love you both. When you criticize each other in front of us, our heart breaks and it makes it very hard to enjoy our time together. We would like, while you're visiting us, to be nice to each other. <laughs> It was a hard conversation to have, honestly. We did it as graciously as we could, and it made those visits so much easier. Because we just said, here's the boundary. You know, here's the rules of the game. If that's how you act at home, kind of, that, well, I'm glad it's working for you. But you're killing us. He's not just controlling. He also controls, another type of controlling is controlling through Entitlement. I'm going to give you things so that you need me. I'm going to give you things so you owe me. I'm going to give you things so I'm your source. I'm going to cut off your supply lines to your home, and I'm going to show you how much you need me, your father-in-law. So Saul set him over the men of war. I'm going to give you a job, and you're going to be the job high up in the company. See, you're over a man of war. Oh, my goodness, I get your promotions. I've got your popularity. You owe me because of what I've given you. And he was accepted. And not only that, that's going to bring money, it's going to bring popularity, that's going to bring acceptance from other people. Just know, David, I'm for you as long as you do what I say, but everything you have and everything I've given you, don't forget, you owe me. 
However, David becomes so popular as a mighty warrior. He becomes so popular, he actually writes his own songs like Kenny did. And his songs become like you know, top 40 hits of the day. He becomes a poet on his own right. He becomes a, a warrior of his own right. And all of a sudden, he has a, a source of, of popularity, a source of love, a source of respect that isn't traced back to his father-in-law. So much so that Saul one day comes out and all the women gather because they heard the royal family's coming and they start singing, Saul has slain his thousands. That's right, I have. And David his ten thousands. Pulled out the hacksaw. Suddenly his son-in-law has become more popular than him. They're singing about the ten thousands. His son's supposed to owe him, not become more popular than him, and he's losing control. There are situations in family that somebody offers something, you ought to think really seriously before you take it, even if it's a great offer, because it might come with strings attached. I read a Facebook post from a good friend of mine who has been to our church several times. She has been in our life for many, many years. And she wrote this just gut-wrenching Facebook post that I wouldn't have recommended. It was very wise to put on there. But it openly talked about the story she'd shared with us of growing up with a family with a, a father who was bipolar, incredibly controlling, and used the, the trust fund in front of her all the time. I'll, I'll cut off your trust fund. I'll cut off your trust fund. Co- totally manic, totally out of control, never could be called on his anger because I'll take the money away. I'll take the money away. I'll take the money away. Wife ended up becoming suicidal, in and out of centers. No one could hold him to account because he used his money and his power to control people. And she had to set some boundaries. Even if it meant losing access to some money. The third thing we see about this unhealthy behavior is that he's incredibly suspicious and angry. And unhealthy people don't trust. Unhealthy people are angry. Unhealthy people are suspicious. They're suspicious of your motives because they know their own motives. They always have an agenda, so they assume you have an agenda. Saul was very angry that they're singing this song, and the saying displeased him. And they, he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've only ascribed a thousands. We're in a comparison war. I can't have people not need me. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Clearly he's out to get me. So Saul eyed David. Ever wonder where we got that phrase, to eye someone? From the Bible, David eyed David from that point on. Saul did. Suspicion. And see, fearful, hurt people, suspicious, manipulative people are always suspicious because they assume you might be doing to them what they're doing to you. And so if you see suspicion and fear coming from someone, it's wise to discern if they're so suspicious of me what might be going on in them that I need to be worried about I took a job and a week into the job I had my boss pull me aside and say I gotta tell you Chad you're the only one I can trust around here no one else I can trust people he'd worked with for five years ten years and he he was doing that actually to try and say look you're close I'm giving you access to the trust you know immediately my spidey sense went off my inner spidey sense said, for how long? If you don't trust anyone else around you, I don't trust that this trust is really trust. I have a sister-in-law I haven't talked to for 10 years because I had to set a boundary. I've tried to restore that relationship many, many times. 
but I've not been able to because of the boundary I set. And the boundary was, I'm willing to talk about what happened, I'm willing to talk um, personally with you first, and then I'll involve my wife in the situation. But your, the demand she made of me 10 years ago is you will put your wife on the phone right now, and if you don't, I'll never talk to you again. I said, well, you've been cursing at me for 30 minutes. I'm not going to let you curse at my wife. So if you'd like to calm down, if you want to make some rules that we're going to talk about this without cursing at each other, I'm willing to engage in this conversation. Don't give that pastoral crap to me! <laughs> well, you can call whatever you want, but... I'm not going to play your games. And this is somebody, because I'd seen how she parented her kids, I had seen she's a high controller, and no one tells her what to do. And I can't believe you guys set yourself up as a self-appointed. Da, 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 da. And, I, and I grieve that. I took five years trying to restore a relationship with my brothers, and my brother and I are still are now talking, and we have yet to find a way to make the rest work. And sometimes it's going to be a loss. But if you don't set the rules to the game, you'll, uh, rules, you're going to end up playing other people's games. And that's where David is such a genius. David is able to navigate all of that mess. All of that, that unwise behavior and unhealthy games. David finds a way to show wise behavior in the midst of it. And wise behavior creates healthy relationships. And God is with us when we are wise, even as we're navigating chaos. Now, how does he do that? What are some of the ways David does it? Genius. Again, we'll look at it in four or five weeks together, but just three things today, or four things rather today. Number one, in this family where everybody has an agenda, David plants something amazing. Unconditional, selfless love. If you want to navigate family dynamics, be the one in the family who says, I'm going to show this family what selfless love looks like. Be the one who takes your nephews and your nieces out to go sledding just simply because you want to get to know them, not because you have an agenda. Sit down with your grandfather-in-law, as I did, and listen to him tell the same story about the same book about a hundred times. Let people see that you love, genuinely love the people in your family, that you're going to plant in the middle of the chaos an example of selfless love, not manipulative love. And that's what David does. He comes in this family, and why in the world would the king's son, who should be the next king, not feel threatened by David? Because David plants in the middle of this family of chaos uh, a, a fortitude, a barracks of selfless love. It says, Saul took him home that day and would not let him go to his family's house. But Jonathan, his brother-in-law, and David made a covenant. They made a commitment to each other. We're not going to play games. We are not going to hear the gossip and, and, and wonder if we're not telling each other the truth. We are going to promise to speak truth to each other. We're going to promise to be honest with one another. We're going to promise to love each other without strings attached. And Jonathan must think, oh my goodness, I have, won I have looked for this my whole life. I have wanted that kind of thing my whole life. You're going to have family that disagrees on politics and disagrees on religion. Be the example of wherever they disagree with you on that they see you as someone who selflessly loves everybody in your family. You care for them. You sacrifice for them. You still set boundaries. But my goodness, you genuinely care for them. Because that's what David does. And he will navigate that through all these situations. So I've had a very challenging year. I, I couldn't even put into words the challenges of this year. And one of the joys in the midst of that challenge 
is that uh, my daughter graduated college. She's our children's pastor now after six years of working for us. And she moved into her own apartment. And then the day after she moved out, my future son-in-law moved in to her old room. So he's been living with us for the last two months. And it has been a joy. I have told him how much I want to not only have a great 50-year friendship with both my kids, but with him as well. And it has allowed us to have lots of great conversations about boundaries in a very complex situation where I was helping him finish college, which he just did this summer because he was a semester behind her so they can get married in about a month. And one of the things I've tried to do is give him freedom to set boundaries with me. He had a couple of them this week. He said, listen, I want to offend you. I said, I respect it. In fact, you know, I got real teary, real teary, that my son-in-law-to-be would love my daughter enough to set boundaries for me. I said to him when he asked if he could marry Sierra, I said, do you have any concerns? He says, no. I'm like, let me tell you what I'd be concerned about. (laughs) So I said to him, if I was you. I said, I would be concerned about me. I am overwhelming. I know that about myself. I said, I have seemingly uh, this year's drained it quite a bit but uh, limitless amounts of energy I said and you're going to have to set your own path and it's going to be different from my path I want you to know I'm, I'm going to be your pastor and be your friend but as your pastor and as your friend the Bible talks about leaving and cleaving leaving and cleaving Sierra and I have a great relationship and I am going to be the first to make sure I steer her back to you because a great marriage means you are the primary source of her emotional support and love. And I am going to grieve as I do that. But that is how you set up a healthy relationship. He'd had this fender bender. And in the middle of the fender bender, um, he didn't really know how to work on cars. And I said, listen, I want to help out. He's like, oh, I would love that. In fact, we built a, something together out of wood this week. But this was about a month ago. He had this fender bender. He says, I don't have the money to fix this right now. And I'm still trying to finish college. And I said, but listen, have you ever been to the junkyard? No. I said, I've taken all my kids to the junkyard. I've taught them how to take the pieces off and you can get the parts for penny on the dollar and I, sh- sh- I said how about we go to the junkyard together he said oh, I would love that I said I think I could get your whole your whole front end fixed um, for like a hundred bucks instead of 900 bucks so I got done speaking at four services and, and came home that afternoon um, he said are you sure you look really tired I said listen I, I would love to help so we got in the car together and we drove up to Cincinnati pull and pay and, and we got there and we found there was one, I showed him how to use the system to find the car and he had one Impala that matched, that four Impalas that would match, the fender would meet, all the fenders were gone off all and we get to the very back of the lot and there's one left and it's the same color as his car. We're like, yes! <laughs> and we got the tools out and we're unhooking this thing up and there is a tsunami cloud like I have never seen before gathering around. And I'm like, we got to go faster. Oh, and we are trying to pull and yank and get this thing out. It's stuck on the, on the windshield wiper um, thing. It's sort of stuck into the fender. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wish I brought a saw. And, we're, oh, and this tsunami comes down. We are getting blasted. And there's starting to be lightning around. And we're like, we're going to hit, we're in a junkyard of all things. We're going to hit by lightning. And we are in the last bolt. It's always the last bolt. We can't get that last bolt. I'm, I'm like bending and breaking. If I break this thing free. I'm like, all right, I'm going to run and get the car. He runs and pays for it. I get the car. I pull up the junkyard, and here's him running out to the car. I took a picture so we can remember this moment of him coming out to the car. And we are, Brandon and I are heading back home, and he said, Chad, i got to tell you something. I don't think I know any friends, and I've got a lot of great friends, who would have been willing after a full weekend of working 
to want to and be excited about coming to a junkyard to help me save money. And that meant so much to me that he would see my heart and know my heart is for him and for their marriage. What does it look like for you to demonstrate selfless love? Secondly, David, he tried to be agreeable whenever possible. That's what was pretty amazing. I mean, the guy had a thousand reasons not to ever be agreeable. He tried to be agreeable whenever as possible. David went out wherever Saul sent him. I mean, these are incredibly, he's in the battle. He's, his life is on the line. He didn't say, hey, I'm married to your daughter. I'd like maybe the easy skirmishes." Wouldn't that have been acceptable? Wouldn't you have asked for it? I would have. David was willing to be agreeable whenever possible. And look at what it says. He went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. Saul set him over the men of war. He was accepting the pay. Why? Because they noticed this guy doesn't have agenda. He's a man of duty and a man of honor. And he tries to be agreeable whenever possible. If your attitude and your demeanor towards your family is trying to be agreeable whenever possible, then when you have to set a boundary, like, listen, we love you guys as your, grandparent, as your parents, and you want to talk to your son and daughter about a boundary and say, we love you guys, we know marriage with small children is tough, we know we want to be there for you, we know it's a really challenging time in marriage, but, but we need to have a, a, a little challenging conversation here. Grandma and grandpa are feeling overused as babysitters. We're willing to do it twice a week or three times a week, but we don't have the energy to do it six days a week. And that'll be a tough conversation. But if you're agreeable most of the time, then you can set a boundary in that. And you're going to be fearful. Oh my goodness, we're going to lose access to the kids if we set a boundary. But you're getting worn out and you're kind of resenting helping. If you're agreeable most of the time and family's coming in town, you say, listen, it's very stressful to have family in town and this is not meant to be offensive. This is meant to actually create space. We would prefer if you stayed in a hotel while you're here at Christmas. Oh my goodness, we always stay. Families always stay at our house. Yeah, and, and, and Thanksgiving and Christmas has always been stressful because no one can get away, <laughs> right? We keep doing the same thing over and over again and we wonder why we get the same result. Instead of saying, no, we're going to ask you to stay in a hotel or we're going to stay in a hotel because we like you and we want to continue to like you. And we want you to like us. When you're agreeable whenever possible, those boundary conversations are easier to have. They're healthier to have. Thirdly, David had this ability to develop compassion without codependency. Compassion is you think about everything Saul is going through, the pressure he is under, the difficulty he's facing, the, the challenges of being king of the kingdom. Compassion is I imagine what it might be like to have your circumstances. All right, maybe... The reason my father-in-law is so emotionless is because he went through Vietnam. And I can't imagine what that's like. And I want to have compassion that those circumstances might not make you the most emotionally available person. Wow. Instead of just being frustrated at their behavior, we have compassion toward our family's behavior. And we need to develop compassion for our family members. Not their, you're not their psychologist, but Compassion. But we also, if you're like me, and I'm like the worst possible person to talk about this, so compassion without codependency. Codependency is you so care about others, you so identify with others, that I feel not only compassionate towards you, but I feel responsible towards you. I am responsible for, or I can control your circumstances. And if you are a, a pleaser, 
If you need to be needed, if you like to help people, that's a great thing. It's going to make you very compassionate. But you're going to get sucked into people's games so often because your need to be needed is going to pull you into situations that are just unhealthy. And you're going to codependently think that your job is to fix it and you can't fix it. You can't repair it. It's, it's, it's a mess and then the mess has nothing to do with you. The mess came long before you and you're going to get sucked into those things thinking you can control it and you can fix it. And you're codependent. You're a rescuer. And whether it's a family member with an, a gambling addiction or a family member with a, an alcohol addiction, you think, oh, well, I'm compassionate. It's got to be hard. Yeah, it is hard. And it's a disease. Well, it's a disease and a choice. It's both. And the compassion is that's got to be really, really difficult. Yep. And the choice part is you've got to be consequences of your own actions. And where those two lines fit, I don't know. But they're both there. And codependency is I need to rescue you from your decisions. And I can tell you, we've had family members, and you've been there too, and I've had many people ask, you know, family member who has a gambling addiction, and, you know, they play every button, right? You know, if you really cared about me, I thought you went to church, I thought you loved Jesus, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought, just one more time, just one more time. And we want to be generous, we want to be helpful, we want to be uh, um, people who care about people who are hurting, but you've seen the pattern, right? You've seen that. The reason they're at the, the he or she's at your doorstop is because last week they were at your sister-in-law's doorstop, and the week before that, the, 10 years before that, they were at your mom's doorstep. At some point, you need to recognize the difference between compassion and codependency. And here's what, what Paul, I mean, here's what David has to recognize. There is a distressing spirit, a deep depression falls over Saul. The Bible calls it a distressing spirit. Some people think that's an evil spirit. Sometimes think that's just a Jewish way of talking about a deep depression. But this isn't medical depression. This is a depression that says sent from God. What? A distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. And if you saw Saul in his depressive case, you go, I got to help him. I got to rescue him. I got to get him out of that. But if you read the previous four chapters, Saul has been rebelling against God. God came through the prophet Samuel and said, Hey, don't do that. He did it anyway. It's not my fault. It's your fault, Samuel. You should have shown up on time. I had to do what I had to do. God wants you to admit you're wrong here. And he wouldn't admit he was wrong. So he gave him another choice. All right, well, God wants you to change your behavior. And he goes to another action, gives him very specific instructions. Go over. Do you understand the instructions God's asking you to do? I understand the instructions. He comes back later. Did you follow the instructions? Yes, I did. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Oh, stop being so hard. I pretty much obeyed him. And that is where Samuel from God says to Saul, God is taking the kingdom from you and giving it to someone better than you because of your behavior and actions. And the reason God is sending a distressing spirit is to try and grab Saul and remind Saul he needs to get back right. He is off track. Pain can be your friend. Some people are in pain because of decisions they're making. And you can have compassion toward their pain without codependently rescuing them from the pain because you can't rescue them anyway. They've got to rescue themselves. So much so that in this distressing spirit, Saul then decides it's David's job to fix him and brings him in to play music. And occasionally it makes the spirit go down. But pretty soon he's like, you're not playing well enough. It's your fault that my distressing spirit's not going away. And he grabs a spear, <laughs> tries to pin him against the wall. Twice. And still David behaves wisely. And that brings us to the fourth step. Which is that sometimes you have to remove yourself from a situation. Abusive situations, life-threatening situations. Sometimes you just need some space 
to decompress from the pressures of life. You know, a week away from each other so you can come back and go, just pressure cooker was on us. Let's see if we can get our, our bearings back together. Sometimes separation needs to be longer. Sometimes you have to say, I got to go 10 years without talking to somebody. Sometimes things you love and care about, you have to wrestle with. I, I'm, if I make this boundary, I, I may not have that kind of relationship in my life that I really want and I care for and God would want for me. What am I going to do? But it's in the middle of this, removing yourself from the situation. It says, Saul cast a spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. And David escaped his presence twice. Twice. He said, well, maybe the first time was a bad day. Twice. He removed himself from the situation. And it's right in the middle of this we get the passage I began with today. And that passage says, David behaved wisely and God was with him. Saul was afraid of David. Why? Why was he so afraid of David? Because the Lord was with him. He recognized the way he behaved, the way he interacted in these family situations. God was with him when he behaved wisely. When we are wise, God is with you. When you are unwise, God will remove himself from you and say, see if that works. Oh, oh. All right, come on back here. Let's, let's huddle up. Let's try something better. Therefore, Saul removed David from his presence. See, David had no, Saul had no problem setting boundaries. You're out of here. See, people who don't like boundaries have plenty of boundaries. They can say whatever they want, speak whatever they want, be as angry as they want. But right in the middle of that is, and David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, not just wisely, very wisely, he was afraid of him. Here's a guy I can't control. Here's a guy who acts differently. Here's a guy who's above reproach. And you know what the people of Israel noticed? All of Judah and all of Israel loved David because he lived with a different type of ethic. He navigated family and the office with a different type of attitude. Loving people, not gossiping about them. Not triangulating, not baiting, not power playing. And that stood out. So here's the question I'd like us to wrestle with as we leave. In light of the behaviors you can't control in the present, there are things in your life right now you can't control I want you to think about what those are. Maybe meditate on it this week. Journal about it if you want. In light of the things I can't control in the present. And in light of the things I've observed in the past. Saul didn't have a bad day. He's got a pattern. In light of things I've observed in the past in this situation. And in light of what I hope for the future. What is the wise thing to do here? In light of what I can't control in the present, in light of what I've observed in the past, in light of what I hope for the future, what's the wise thing to do? I had a family came into my office uh, this summer, and they said, we got a a family situation, we're not sure what to do. My wife and I are really disagreeing on this. I said, what's going on? Well, we'd like to have the whole family together for a big family vacation, we'd like to pay for the whole thing. And, you know, one of the family members are engaging in a lifestyle that we're not um, supportive of. And specifically, you know, those of us who are Christians, um, we're we're very screwed up. But one of the things we at least try and have as an ideal is we think that uh, sex and marriage is something that's important. And because God's faithful to us, we want to try and be faithful to our future spouse. So sexuality is something that we feel like is expressed in covenant of marriage. And one of their family members, um, we're living together. 
and they didn't feel in their own conscience that it was appropriate for them to pay for a situation where they would be endorsing that. And so they sit down and they say, Chad, what do you think we should do? I said, well, what's your goal? And what's our goal? What's your goal? Is your goal to let them know what your standards are? Then you can do option A. Is your goal to show that family who disagree with one another can enjoy each other? Then I'd go with option B. Is your goal to have long-term influence over your, your kids and grandkids? Then I'd probably go on vacation together. Do your kids not know your convictions? Oh, they know our convictions. I, I thought they probably did. Is this going to help propel that case, or is it going to create division in your family? And we didn't come to a conclusion that day, but they said, wow, we need to think about this. In light of what we can't control, that's a decision they've made. In light of what we've observed in the past, they know our convictions, they haven't come to the same conclusion. But in light of our hopes for the future, we want to have a relationship. We want to show that family who disagree politically or religiously or have different convictions still have hearts for one another. We want to have influence and relationship with our grandkids. What's the wise thing to do? Some of you are going to have daughter-in-laws who are very insecure because all of us come into marriage and we're insecure. And they're going to not... They're going to want to parent differently than you think they should parent. And they're going to do things you think are really bad ideas. Right? And they're going to sometimes say, hey, if you don't do what I want you to do, you can't have access to the grandkids. And you're going to say, wow, there's some really unhealthy things going on here. But you're going to ask yourself, I want access to the grandkids. What part can I, I can't let this go. But in light of having access to the grandkids, I might have to let some things go that, that I wouldn't want to let go. Because in light of my hope for the future, to know my grandkids, in light of what I can't control, the insecurity, in light of what I observed in the past, she's not open to change, what's the wise thing to do? And the same thing is true in marriage. It's one thing to be newly married and make covenants and commitments that, wow, it's all going to be easy, it's all going to be good. It's nothing in the really wed game to double down on your commitments, to double down on love is unstoppable. We're going to get through this. We're going to push through this. We're going to win this. We're going to create systems in place to be able to, to fight against the pressures that are coming against us, to figure out what kind of dysfunctional things are coming from the family, what dysfunctional things are coming from within us, and to set the patterns that set us up for success because God's love is unstoppable and applying it into complex situations can make your life unstoppable too. Let's listen together. Well, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I would imagine all the things we talked about, there's some spots in your life. You're like, oh, Chet, I need supernatural wisdom for a... It's just complicated. So I'm going to pray for you. Whatever you're going for through, maybe you're ready to give up on something or someone, and you're like, I wish I thought love was unstoppable. Let me just pray that encouragement over you. Father, would you help us believe, even when we don't believe, that our marriage could survive, that there could be a new way of navigating a difficult situation, that there's a way where there seems to be no way? Will you show us how to look inside ourselves as to what it is that helps us or keeps us or allows us to get sucked into other people's games. God, show us the kind of love that's rooted in truth. Respect for ourselves and respect for others. And Jesus, I thank you that you're the ultimate example of this. You were the ultimate son of David who came and navigated a complex 
betraying, lying, cheating, hurting world. And you demonstrated a selfless, incredible love in the midst of it. Be with each person here and let them know they're not alone. In Jesus' name, amen.